0: Thank you for listening to Shotgun Logic. This is Shane douglas Keene and I am joined by my co-hosts Beverly Lee and Stephanie Ellis. And today we are talking to Wendy Wagner, uh, author of the forthcoming, amazing coming-of-age novel, The Deer Kings. Um, It's going to be a great episode, so hang around and give it a listen.
1: saying would you like to update and you think oh I'm not pressing that box because if I say yes that'll be it that's
2: exactly it I'm exactly it oh and it's so good to see you all I know it's lovely
3: I'm just trying to get a closer look at the bookshelves
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Beverly's bookshelf is so tidy and nice looking. Um mine is a real disaster. I thought I should really tidy that up, but I didn't get around to it. No,
1: and any bookshelf is like a is like a magnet for a writer, isn't it? We're all going like this.
3: Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to I, most in. of the books
0: most of the books I read I see first on somebody else's bookshelf and their selfie or something. Oh, that looks good. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> um, uh So we are recording. I just uh, start that by default. So if we say anything that we don't want to miss, um, and I'll do the intro later. Um, so yeah, we'll just basically just start wrapping with you, Wendy. Um, oh it's been it's been a while, actually. I think. 2013 2014 nah maybe later um i read a read a short story in nightmare magazine um it was the queers destroy horror i think issue
3: awesome
0: that's the first thing i ever read by you and (laughs) now here you are this year and suddenly you are the editor-in-chief of nightmare magazine um so, uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got from there to here,
2: my friend. Sure. Um, well, you know, the story of how I got into editing is is kind of a fun one, and it kind of starts on Twitter. Um, I had made some Twitter friends, and uh, one of them was an editorial assistant who was working with um, – the editor john joseph adams when he first launched lightspeed magazine which was his first magazine and they were a bit overwhelmed with stuff because i i don't know if you're familiar with john joseph adams at all but he is always incredibly incredibly busy so i wound up i said to my friend i said well if you seem like you're really busy maybe i can help you out and i had actually just sold uh, it was my first professional sale. I had sold a short story to John, so he knew I, I could, like, you know, write, and I could, you know, under had a good basic understanding of grammar and things like that. So he said, "Okay, you can bring your friend on. We'll see if she's any good at this helping stuff." And then it turned out we got along super great. So I was his editorial assistant. um I had a couple of anthologies, and then. When he took over Fantasy Magazine in, like, 2011, I was his assistant editor there. And that that magazine had to go into hiatus because he kind of rolled it into Lightspeed for a while through, you know, websites are complicated. And then in 2014, I had just, I'd lost my day job at the Children's Museum. And I was just doing freelancing stuff. And out of the blue, John contacted me. He said, if you're not super busy writing, because there for a while I've been busy. Um, I was working with the Pathfinder role-playing game and writing tie-in fiction for that, and it was really fun, but it was kept me busy for a while. And yeah, so I'd like sort of just finished a book for them, and um, John contacted me, and he said, can you come help me run my magazine? I've got this horror magazine called Nightmare, and you already know I've got Lightspeed. I said, sure, I'll come in and help. And I took over as like the like managing editor and the associate editor and i just i've been with him ever since and um it's just kind of you know adding more responsibilities and getting more involved with them little by little and i just i love horror so much it's like it's it's my comfort food and i love people who work in horror i mean I'm lucky because I'm here in Portland and we have like the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which brings a lot of horror people to town every year and getting to meet horror people is just like one of my favorite things. So when John was like, I think I need to not edit so much, would you like to take over Nightmare? I was like, yes, this is a dream come true, an absolute dream. So it was really great. It was fun back in 2015 to get to edit that Queers Destroy Horror anthology or special issue, I guess. We released it as like little books, you know, So it it looks kind of like an anthology, but it was really just like a double issue. And that was that was really fun to get to do and just connect, you know, a bunch of different communities together. And it was a really good experience. So I'm glad I'm doing kind of similar stuff now but kind of on a a bigger scale
3: (laughs) how much time does it take you then in the editorial role because you you've written your book you've got a novella coming out uh, you do (laughs) short stories so how do you balance that with the amount of time that the editing takes do you sleep
2: (laughs) to just kind of like set like a regular schedule for myself so in the mornings I usually um I do all the taking care of pet things, which takes a lot of time, and the taking care of me things. And then I try to do some of my own writing work in the morning before I'm like, you know, tired. Um, and then I spend all after, I spend afternoons working on the magazine. And then if we're open to submissions, I usually spend about an hour reading slush at night. Um, if we're not open to submissions, then sometimes at night I, I also write like, I do some nature writing. So then I try to do that kind of thing. Um, So it keeps me busy. When you open for submissions, how many do you normally get? Uh, We usually get, so we open to submissions twice a year, once in March and once in September. And we're open for one week to writers who identify as Black, Indigenous or people of colour. And then we open for another week, just like with no restrictions um and so the total for both weeks is usually around twelve hundred submissions. Wow. Um, yeah, I do have a few, um, like a, a like about five other people who help me read, but you know, they're they're just volunteers and they're very busy, so I I don't want to stress them out. So if they get a chance to read, that's great. If they don't get a chance to read, you know, the buck stops here. <laughs> that means where the
0: cheating comes from.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Uh, um, absolute power and absolute responsibility, or something like that. Right.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or
0: liability.
2: (laughs) More like the last one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think it's just—I just think it's cool to say that Nightmare is at least partly based in Portland, Oregon now. So.
2: Yeah. It's. We like to call. um, So we used to always call our house like um, the the Lightspeed Pacific Northwest Headquarters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It actually kind of makes sense. Yeah, you've got your your fingers in a few of those pies now. And what I think is remarkable, though, and I'll let other people talk, but before I forget, because I will, um, is that you as editor, both managing editor and over here at Nightmare as editor-in-chief, also take on poetry
2: sometimes yeah love really that fun. thanks i'm so excited and i can't wait to just like we you know it's it's a new thing for us this year so we haven't been getting a lot of poetry submissions but i think people are you know little by little starting to think of us as oh this is a place we can send poetry so i think we'll start to see more and more and i can't wait to get more <laughs> I think there's been a bit of a renaissance,
3: hasn't there, there, recently in terms of poetry, especially dark poetry. It's a sort of clear category now in the Stokers. There's a lot of good collections coming out. The one thing I'd like to see them do is like you have a single story in an anthology can be nominated it'd be nice to be able to pick out a poem from some anthology or other and be nominated on its own from that rather than in a collection but it yeah. really does seem to be getting a big readership and a big following these you know these days.
2: Yeah I think so and I, I think that's exciting I've always loved poetry you know I I started out like as a writer I really it was poetry that really like got me started and so like the idea of making a market to kind of help share just like more poetry with the world just was too exciting to to miss out on Uh, yeah another another thing that we do now is flash which I feel like is also kind of like you know there's no year's best for flash fiction there's no there I don't think any of the, I don't think the Hugos or the Nebulas or the, the Stokers have a category for it um, and, and I'm not even sure if you can like nominate Flash within short fiction as a whole in some of those categories I'm not sure and it just seems like it's a it's a, a, a genre that is really flourishing and it's, it would be nice to see it getting more recognition as well um, and like, I love art. those little
0: packages. What's that? It's a remarkable, really, it's a complex art. Um, my second story is a flash story, and I thought, um, well, this will be easy. You know, I had figured it in about 900 words, and it landed at about 900 words, and it was the hardest fucking thing I've ever written in my life.
2: <laughs> Why? Well, I've only written a handful of flash pieces because it's just, it is really hard, like you say. Yeah. Whew.
3: It's how I started with the with the writing really a few years back. There were a lot of flash competitions online, and it'd be sort of week in week week out. There was Flash Friday, micro bookends, the Angry well, Hourglass. Flash Friday. Yeah, Did you do, do that? that? Yeah, yeah, I used to do that quite regularly, and I started off and i i think oh i'm a bit rubbish but people were all really really nice commenting on it and by reading theirs i improved and then i would win occasionally which is quite nice but oh, they've correct. all sort of gone by the wayside a bit but since those have gone i've noticed that you've got more actual publications online yeah. like you've got the the arcanist and others they they take the the flash so it's it's moved the market over to be a bit more I don't know, recognised as something that people will read and will pay, yeah. you know, to, yeah. will buy. Um, yeah, but it's it tough. Right? It's good grounding. <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> well, C- Cemetery Gates did their anthology, didn't they? You know, Can't find a yeah. at, the, the, right. at the beginning yeah. of the year. And and that was all flash, which yeah. was a huge big thing. And, uh, yeah, let's just hope that, you know, it's it's just not something yeah. that people decide they don't want to, want to read or submit to. I think it's definitely got a a good a good thing going there
2: i think so too yeah
3: but i also like long novels and i liked your book by the way (laughs) i read it yes i read it yesterday i will admit i read it yesterday in a day
2: wow that's (laughs) amazing to hear it's
3: so exciting it was was raining in wales and so i sat there with and i if i say plowed through it that sounds really awful um (laughs) it was it was a page turner it was it was really really interesting what I liked in that is it's a lot of the focus is on football sort of America the way the American you Americans love it in the whole <laughs> school system you know the whole yeah. town and the school together and we don't really get that over here but in the book it's very much a cult sort of <laughs> environment
2: <laughs> oh yes um yeah it was weird when I was I mean I'm not like uh, involved with like the school in my town anymore. My daughter went to a different school kind of outside of our neighborhood. Um, So I haven't been to like a, a football game in town proper, but I just remember I took a walk with a friend and we walked past the football stadium of the high school and she was was amazed just you know how big it was and high tech looking with like these enormous lights and it just seemed so normal to me, Um, because even like in my small town, I mean we lived in a town very much like the one in the novel that was very, you know, kind of shabby and run down, but we had, you know, a fantastic football field um, that looked great. And I just, that just always was the memory of those football games and like the whole town being there and like whole other towns coming through for their teams. It just really stuck with me, I think very vividly. Um, And of course, you know, it's in it's like football culture is so small here in Oregon compared to like what it is in like Texas or some places in the south where football is yeah. football is life, Religion. you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing.
0: <laughs> it is a strange thing. And it's we kind of I think American cities kind of define themselves towns and cities around the teams that they that they worship you know kind of like portland with the timbers and the and the blazers and whatnot you know yeah. um and for a while we were a big huge baseball town because we were gonna get a major league team and now nobody cares about baseball again and we're a <laughs> soccer <laughs> town <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> uh,
3: when i was reading um the book it's it's very much another it's a coming of age sort of story you know you got the 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 flashbacks and things and I've noticed there's there's quite they're quite popular again at the moment aren't they that all these because a few books lately have come out with this whole coming of age atmosphere is it just something you wanted to write or did you see this trend coming along and think, oh yeah I could do that
2: it's definitely just something I wanted to write um you know it's kind of i think it's a little bit dorky to admit but i love stephen king like so much and um and i've always loved the book it Mm -hmm. and when i finished my um when i finished my science fiction novel that came out gosh like four years ago now I had just reread it and I thought to myself, what I really wanted to write was a book that had that same feeling of just like fellowship that it and like, you know, the Lord of the Rings and, and a lot of just, there's just a lot of great books that are about people who come together in a very powerful way. And I feel like when you're young, particularly, You make such powerful friendships um, that, you know, as as adults can be so hard to maintain. And that was something that was on my mind was just like remembering like being in college and in high school, like the incredible friendships I've had. And then like now, you know, those people are all over the country and how much we'd love to get back together again and hang out and do something, but life gets in the way so much. And so that was a big inspiration for just the feeling of the book. I wanted to to really dig into that. And it was kind of funny because I started writing the book and it I wasn't happy with it so I scuttled it for a while and then I got a different idea and I was like I can make this work and then I was working on it and right about that time like the first season of like Stranger Things like started taking off I was like oh I hope this book isn't too much like that but I'm just gonna keep doing what I want to do and not worry about it. (laughs) Well it
3: worked I mean the one thing I well there were a couple of things I noticed one was when when they met up again in later life, there was that initial awkwardness, but then that just fell away and they were like they had been near almost. Uh, the other thing was that when they were growing up in, what's it 1989 or, or, or that era? And there's a lot of things that they don't talk about. Um, the sexuality is one of them, but then when you're in 2018, it's such a contrast that, that is so open and accepted and you feel so sorry for the youngsters when they're trying to have to deal with all these things and keep it quiet. And, but then later on they they have that greater freedom. It's nice to see it was like, it's a nice progression in a way to see that come through that people can be open and not have to worry so much that they are different for whatever reason and that they can find there are you know just be accepted as they are so it was, it was nice to see that difference come through in, in the in the time frame yay <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, that's one good thing about today isn't it the young
1: people are so much more open about sexuality and mental health than you know 10 20 years ago people would sort of hide hide behind their hands and not not say anything in case they were judged but yeah i i, I think youngsters today have it really hard but also they know that people are more willing to listen to them
2: yeah I have a daughter who's wow, she's 18 now um and it's been really interesting like watching her growing up and her friends and, and I have you know nieces and nephews who are around the same age and just to see how different they are than people of my generation you know like i I graduated from high school in nineteen ninety five so I'm about the same age as the characters in my book you know and um and and kids are very different now they they are they don't take crap the same way we did you know <laughs> no. uh, they're 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 both tougher and more brittle than we were in totally mm-hmm. different ways. It's really interesting i i think. I think there are some really amazing young people these days.
0: <laughs> um, incredibly so. I, I know, you know, the option. You know, a lot of us, especially people who were drastically different from other kids, just tended to choose the loner option and, you know, just stay out of the fray, so to speak. That was how you dealt with that yeah. when we were kids. Um, and now, yeah, just like you say, they're, you know um, – you see a kid stand up and, and say, like, my friend Jenny's daughter, or not Jenny, but another friend, um, came out, and her uh, all her straight friends stood up with her, you know, when she did and, and supported her, and, you know, there's no judgment there. They're all there for each other, and like you say, they just don't take the crap. You know, <laughs> if someone tries to dish it, they're dishing it to every single one of them, not just not just that
3: one
2: person, you know, so. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah,
3: there's one idea that struck me. When you have the assistant Kiernan, um, Stacey's assistant Kiernan, and and they've got the they, their pronouns, um, that is quite hard to to write, I think, in fiction, not because of any issue of gender, but because we are trained by grammar to write a certain way. I think the time has now come for someone to write a grammar book that can be introduced at an early age or to adjust the grammar to introduce it at an early age to kids in school. So that reading this just becomes normal at the minute when you when you read those pronouns, you've got this old grammar training at the back of your head thinking, this doesn't sound right, but then you realise what it's what and it's got to become natural. And I think to get over that, somebody has to do, I'm going to say the boring work of writing a grammar. <laughs> manual. <for> you. <laughs> uh,
2: if I, you understand I, what I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's the way our brains I, I are it's trained. Also something we've kind of done before, because how many times do you remember reading books that are maybe a little older, like when you were a young person and you maybe picked up some old book somewhere and they just, referred to everybody as he and you just yeah. accept that it was just like normal like yeah was like oh yeah that just means a person because men are like the default and yeah. yet we sort of like transitioned out of that and so this is i think just a natural progression and we use it in conversation so easily like that yeah. it's it's no big deal it's only when you start writing that it, it seems Yeah, you're like activating the old grammarian in your head like I'm going to get in trouble. I I found that 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 was quite that was quite
3: sad because. I knew you know you you talk with these pronouns and that's fine and then as soon as it's on the page your brain is telling you something else because yeah. of grammar rather than any other specific reasons yeah, so um, like, we go to volunteer to write a grammar book for kids
2: yes, <laughs> yes we, we've got to get on that and get teachers like you know making it normal yeah. but after
3: that that little bit I because I went into that mindset that was it just read really well and it was it was absolutely fine but it did trigger that thought in me that it's because of what we've been conditioned to read a certain way to see sentences a certain way that's going to be the hardest thing to overcome is you your grammar purists really rather than <laughs> yeah. any others. It's true, <laughs> yeah. You
0: really want to mess with an English teacher's head do a uh, non-binary anthology.
2: <laughs> <That'd be> cool. <laughs>
1: You could you could do what you could do one like a, a literary fiction one where um, like a, an experimental one where people didn't use dialogue tags either. That would be really something.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have seen some like that without dialogue tags.
1: Yeah, it, that's another thing that's difficult to get your head around.
3: Yeah, there's yeah. someone who, who would use dashes at the start instead of speech marks and there's something else. But it worked if it's done properly. Yeah, it works. Part, You get used to it. In doesn't do form. anything. Yeah. yeah. What no, is it's language for easy. but to experiment with? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <it's> well fed. <sighs> Can I ask, is there going to be a? Fo- I'm not going to give any spoilers away on the book um, or what happened to anybody, but is there going to be a follow-up to I that
2: one? I don't have one in mind, but yeah, uh, I, I definitely just that as a standalone, but you never know because I do, I really like that town and and the place that I've created. I am actually, last year I was sort of outlining a novel that would be in the same area but not with the same characters and I may get back to it or maybe or it may be a bad idea, I'm not sure. (laughs) I could see there were a couple uh,
3: of people who I could see actually start you know if they went back to that place um, I could see a story coming out there but I'm just trying not to <laughs> give anything away <laughs> but is Kingston actually based on place? is it a sort of amalgam of places that you know or
2: yes actually it's, it's very much based on the town where I grew up um, I grew up in an area that's like sort of a a little nook on the Oregon coast where there's sort of a a group of small towns where um, all the towns are small enough that they send all the kids to one high school, right? Um, And in fact, actually now all the kids in the whole area go to elementary school there. When I was a kid, I lived in a town, town, (laughs) there are about 65 people in our community, and the School was a two-room schoolhouse. um, And we had, you know, it was 22 kids when I started. Uh, By the end, there were about 10 of us. I was, most of the time, I was the only kid in my class. Um, And we lived 25 miles from our zip code, or 25 miles from the nearest grocery store. Um, And it was this, it's, like the description in the book, you know, when they go to visit the grandmother and she lives out, you know, in the little valley by beyond the lake. And um, so that's that's kind of the atmosphere where I grew up, where we would drive on this extremely windy, very dangerous, narrow little road. Um, You know, one year there was a storm and there was a landslide. Power lines came down and we were we were cut off from civilization for like two weeks, you know and um so sort of that it comes from that kind of environment of having these little towns that are sort of isolated um but and then connected to like a place that's like a hub for you know lumber and things like that and um yeah my the town where i went to high school is called reedsport oregon and um it's it's a lovely town that's Just sort of uh it it just happens by a quirk of geography that it's not quite on the coast you can't see the water from from the town proper so it hasn't like turned into like a touristy town like it's just a place that you would drive through on your way to someplace prettier basically (laughs) (laughs) um and there's always been like a real sense of rivalry with a nearby town up the road and a real sense of insignificance compared to a town to the south that has like a thriving port and things like that um yeah, so yeah. just a whole lot of that got kind of poured into this book <laughs> yeah I could all of that. <laughs> My hometown has just the most fantastic bakery it's really good um And that's why there are so many donuts in this (laughs) novel. And and why so much happens at the bakery. (laughs) Um, You should put a recipe uh, at the back.
0: (laughs) My wife lived over there in Reedsport for years. No
2: way.
0: Yep, yep. And uh, we used to go over there all the time because her best friend was over there. um, Reedsport, Florence. Florence has the bakeries, um, or at least the coffee shops. Yeah, coffee, coffee shop. shops in Florence, but yeah, I recognize a lot of the places as you were writing about the. It. It's like, okay, this may not be this exact place, but she's pretty damn close to this exact place, <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, originally I even called the town Kingsport, um, but of course that's the name of a town in a, a in, in HP Lovecraft's universe, and so when I was telling people about it, they were like, oh, it's Lovecraft, you know? I like. No, I better change it. I don't want anybody to be, like, expecting things to come out of the ocean and strangling people with tentacles, which I would love, but yeah. the total wrong idea about this book.
0: <laughs> um, and you had the total right idea about this book, I think. Um, I think we're at various stages. Steph finished it. I'm about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through it. Um and uh, I forgot to pass it to Beverly, so she just got it.
1: <laughs> but as soon as soon as I finish my Kevin read, I am diving in. So there you go, Beverly will be reading it soon. Thank
3: you. But what okay. what I liked about it, you you mentioned that you really liked Stephen King and it and what I particularly liked about yours. I mean, with with King's work, I like the way he goes into detail about small towns. He really takes you into mm-hmm. that place. And you did exactly the same with the town in in your book. So you you were there, you know, I was there sort of cycling along the road or seeing the lake or the gravel on the beach or the the dog's port, all the little details of the people sort of travelling by. It was the same, it it was your work, but the same sort of, but you know the same detail the same level as far as I'm concerned Thank it was you. it was it was really enjoyable that's why I did ask if there's another one but later on maybe <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed you you touched you only touched on briefly on that where they the I mean with the deer king it's this um sort of invocation of a deer saint by the kids when they're, they're younger um that's not giving too much away, but there are offerings to this saint over time, so people get their wishes, a bit like a genie, I suppose you would say. But you hint at maybe an, uh, a Native American site having been there in that particular area. Would, would you have brought more of that sort of mythology out, perhaps, or was it deliberate just to keep it there as a little undercurrent?
2: It was kind of deliberate to keep it as an undercurrent, I think. I think there's definitely an instinct that people have when they come to a place to want to connect um, with the past and they try to put meaning into things. And sometimes that's fictional, right? Like, um, I, I wanted it to be sort of up in the air, like, is this drawing on some sort of, older ancient power or is this just something that people want to be connected to something older because that gives it like this more of a sense of validity and importance like I think um, you know sometimes we just make up traditions and then we say oh but no really we give them these backstories that they're not really true you know I was just reading this article in the Smithsonian magazine about, uh how karate developed in Japan and how it um you know it, it was started by Chinese immigrants to Japan and how it was really looked down on for a long time. And then when it did become accepted, then they started making up these myths like, oh, you know, the reason they have black belts is that people would get a white belt and you couldn't wash it until, you know, by the end of your training, it would be black. And like, that's just (laughs) me up. But it's a neat little story that makes people feel like they're connecting to history, right? (laughs) Um, And I, I kind of wanted that in this book too, because I think, you know, in the United States, there's such a legacy and horror of oh, and it was an Indian burial ground or, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much of that. Even Stephen King uses it in, in Pet yeah. Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there was tons of it in some of his derivative stuff like the, the Haven series and, um, mm. yeah, Castle Rock goes into it a bit too. So I, I like the idea of sort of like winking at that, <laughs> but not, not mm. using
3: it. <laughs> It's a very haunted town, isn't it? There, there seems to be a, about a million ghosts sort of howling <laughs> in the darkness
2: there. <laughs> oh, I have a hunch probably most small towns have them. Um, they got to stick yeah. around. They, they just want to gossip, just like everybody
3: else. <laughs> have you ever actually seen a ghost? I Is that
2: something so. you believe in? I. I find myself to be a determined materialist when I have the lights on, and when the lights are low, then I feel very uh, supernaturally inspired.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Possibilities of the shadows.
2: <laughs> yes, I have that kind of imagination that I'm to something and awful and imaginative you know if i see somebody walking oddly down the street my first thought is always oh, you're a zombie and never oh it's somebody who's had too much to drink from the bar around the corner um and so it's kind of a, a moral failing for me but at the same time it makes my life interesting and delightful <laughs> so i saw
3: when i was i was sort of looking into the, the things you do online to, <laughs> And getting very tired. You make me feel exhausted seeing all the stuff you do. And then with your, your interests. Was, um, I think it's vegan cookery, zombies and pets. And I was thinking, have you written a book with those? <laughs> 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 That's the main...
2: I, I wish I had. That, that would be a fascinating combination. <laughs>
3: it's a challenge for next year.
2: Yeah, good idea. That could at least be a great short story, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But as yeah, I, I am a giant animal nut.
1: Yeah, as I haven't read the book yet, I've been doing a little bit of research, not not stalking, obviously, just research. <laughs> um, I read that a passion of yours is environmental
2: horror. Yeah, I yeah. it's something I think is I, I want to see more of. Uh, I'd love to see us get more pieces, but we have a, a couple that are coming next year at Nightmare. But I feel like the state of the environment is kind of terrifying. And so I'd like to see more people grappling with that. Um, I'm definitely, you know, sort of a a militant environmentalist. Uh, So (laughs) I'd love to just have all of my interests dovetail together neatly. Well the thing
1: is if, if if writers can bring climate control and the crisis in climate control um, to the attention of the readers, it can only be a good thing, can't it so
2: right, yeah, and I think we're we're seeing some really good work in science fiction and, and literary fiction um that's really bringing it to attention and I'm really excited I've read some good stuff in the last couple of years so they think it's time for horror to step up and join
0: Absolutely. join in. I, I do too. It's like you have guys like Kim Stanley Robinson taking on the um, taking on the environmental sci fi pretty well. And I every time I read one of his books I think this really needs monsters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah kind of like uh you know brian keen's uh earthworm gods or the conqueror worms or whatever it's called these days you know was all right. about raining and raining and raining and you know the monsters that come with the rain so it's like yep we need more of that lots lots more of it but then i think if you're a portlander you gen- generally fall on the side of extreme environmentalist or proud boy i don't know if there's a real <laughs> fine line between those two
2: (laughs) yeah i think oregon is definitely a state that is very sharply divided between those two packages you know
0: (laughs) definitely (laughs) (laughs) um at least i know where you stand so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's i think for living eugene and portland are about the only two places i would really want to live in oregon anymore um just and not because people necessarily, but the very thing you were just talking about the environment, just with you know all the fires and everything every year, and it just seems like that. Oh unhealthy place to
2: live most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty scary the state of wildfire in the West is it's very terrifying, you know. And just this uh, this summer even I saw that the city of Portland is extremely anxious about, you know, what if a wildfire were to break out in Forest Park? Um, yeah. It's an enormous park here within the city limits and it's just a big forest and it's not very healthy because, you know, it's just full of you know invasive plants and things like that and there are you know people we have a large houseless problem here in this city and a lot of people are camping in the forest. and we've been we're in a serious drought it's like oh if this if this park was to catch on fire there are a lot of houses like that mm. touch yeah. onto it and it could be a really big health crisis and and safety crisis uh-huh. in the city yeah.
0: And the most expensive houses in the city up there.
2: <laughs> True that, yeah.
0: I got a, ri- I've got a river between me and those and that forest. Me too, so. yeah,
2: but <laughs> unfortunately the river doesn't stop the air. We get a lot of you know, bad smoke.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, I, that's one thing about living in this area too is that pretty much you've got a river between you and everything. <laughs> and
2: then, no matter where you go.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. it's. It's a premise in one of my, in the book I'm working on right now. <laughs> rivers, no matter where you go, you're separated by a river from something somewhere.
2: I like that.
0: <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I descend into gossip easily.
3: <laughs> You've got a novella coming out.
2: Um, is it this year as well? Yeah, in October. It's kind of amazing to have two books come out so close together. Uh, this one is obviously a very small book, um, as opposed to *The Deer King*, which is a very large book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm very excited about this novella. It's um, it's also set on the Oregon coast. All right. Uh, but it's it's like a gothic novella. It's, it's very fun, kind of um, you know, quiet creepiness. I'm just, I'm yeah, I like I like that sort of thing.
3: Me too. Did, were you writing that at the? How did you sort of plan your time with that novella and your novel? Was it one first and then the other or were they written in parallel? Or
2: uh, Well, I started the the book, I started this story of the novella over 10 years ago. I was at a writing t- retreat and I was writing what I thought was going to be a novel. And I started it out and it was... um. I I really loved it. I knew I was doing some really good things with language, uh, but I was writing very slowly and I sort of kind of panicked about it and I wrote a whole bunch and I realized, gosh, the last like 100 pages I've written are nothing like the first 40. I don't know where it went wrong, but something went wrong. So I put it aside, but I had mentioned it to a friend and she always really liked the idea of the book, which... I had described to her as a sawmill gothic, right? And um, <laughs> slumber is a really big deal here in Oregon. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and so a few years ago, that friend uh, became a consulting editor at tourcom which publishes novellas. And she said, Wendy, have you ever considered going back to the sawmill gothic story and turning it into a novella? And I thought, well, that's actually a heckin' good idea. I can get rid of all those 100 pages that had gone horribly <laughs> awry. So I wrote through it and I sent it off to her, but she was a bit overwhelmed with life, universe, everything. And so the novella stayed on her desk for a long time, like a couple of years. <laughs> and... Um, and we wound up doing edits on it um and i wrote this other note this other novel while i was uh you know waiting to hear back from her and then it it didn't work out with tour.com and so i just had this novella and i saw this open call at neon hemlock and it' it's pretty hard to find a home for a novella there aren't a lot of publishers that want to take it on and um, and I'm like, I'm between agents right now, so that makes everything a little bit harder as well. So I thought, well, I had a friend who worked with Neon Hemlock, and they had a really good experience. And Neon Hemlock makes s- scented candles for every publication. I thought, <laughs> yeah, would it be? Who? I just want to know what my what my book would smell like if it was a candle. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna send it to them. And they really liked it, and it has just been so nice working with them. The the publisher editor, he is um, he's really fantastic and fun, and just have all these great ideas. And it's a great editor too. So, I'm I'm glad it worked out the way it did because it. So have you got your candle yet? Because it's called uh, the secret <laughs> skin. So what does it smell like? <laughs> uh, I actually I didn't wind up getting to buy one of the candles. Um, but I'm trying to remember what it it was like salt air and roses and some other smell because that that it's the story is of um a young woman in the 1920s and she comes from this very wealthy family and she sort of escaped from them and her brother who's now the the you know he's got the house and everything because her parents are dead uh, he's going on his second honeymoon because uh, he's just remarried and he begs her to come home and help keep an eye on his daughter because he just can't seem to keep a, a governess or a nanny but you know there's nothing wrong with the kid not not in the least <laughs> and so she comes back to help out and uh discovers that her niece is a very unusual child and the house after, you know, having some family members uh, kick the bucket in it is now a very unusual house and their family has some secrets as well. And so it's about resolving all of those things in a creepy house on the Oregon coast. And uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> and there there are some scenes in a sawmill, too, because <laughs> they are their lumber family. <laughs> this uh, it's kind of cool because the house is inspired by a real estate on the Oregon coast, which was in the turn of the century, just like this marvelous, like mansion. And it was famous for having these huge parties and uh, the the house burned down and the family donated the land to the state of Oregon. And you can go visit because they have the gardens from the house, um, which they're not like a huge botanical garden but you know we would visit when I was a kid for like school trips or like they would decorate it for Christmas time and it's kind of part of the reason why I became like a gardening nerd because like it was just such a beautiful place with like these wonderful flowers that like smelled amazing and like these ponds and it just uh it, it just lived in my my head forever and so it that's a big part of the inspiration for the book was just these fantastic gardens
1: I think it's important isn't it um if you have a setting that's a real life setting it really grounds a story
2: yeah I think so too Mm.
0: I agree I agree that like the setting I'm trying to develop right now is very very much Portland um but it's very, very much not Portland also, you know, it just gives me gives me a foundation to work from, you know, yeah. because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Pardon my language. Um, <laughs> I think I'm the only person in the crowd here who can't seem to control his tongue that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. um,
2: I had a science fiction novel that came out a few years ago, and I, you know, when you read that book, you're like, well, this could be Olympic National Park it says obviously the temperate rainforest but you know that was where it started as but then it got more and more weird alien creatures and and (laughs) and stuff as they do
3: (laughs) so you write a few different genres then you've gone you've done your sort of sci-fi you've got your gothic you've got this uh sort of coming of age supernatural um novel What is your preferred? um, Is there a preferred style or do you just love writing anything and everything?
2: I really just love writing everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just for me, the most important thing is I just want to tell stories that are about people living in in like a, a certain kind of place. And I think exploring place is really important to me. When I write nonfiction, it's usually about exploring place on foot and like um, connecting with your environment and things like that. Um, so I think that's kind of at the heart of, of most Wendy Wagner projects is just really delving into some sort of weird town or, or odd landscape. And then usually there's something scary and awful. Even if it's science fiction, I, even if it's a, one of my fantasy novels, because my first two books were fantasy, I mean there's a fairly high level of horribleness. So I'm I'm I I think obviously my heart is in the horror community and horror, and the horror universe. Scary, <laughs> <Very> awful, <laughs> and gross
1: usually. I mean, I mean let's face it, all stories are improved by a monster, aren't
0: they? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree. Monsters make everything better. Um,
2: <laughs> yes. And
0: really, I really want to read some of your nonfiction. Um, it's a passion of mine. I spent most of my younger life um, in Mount Hood National Forest and places like that. That's awesome. Um, a lot of that time alone, and of course walking, um, but uh, it's a very, very haunted place, and it's easy to, it's easy to project monsters into the locations that you find yourself in if you're out there alone, you know.
2: Yeah, I think
0: it's, so. It's like, yeah, but, um, but yeah, I definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll message you later and try to find some of your nonfiction because I want to read it.
2: Oh, thanks.
0: Hmm?
1: If, if you didn't, if you didn't live in Portland, Wendy, where in the world would you like to
2: live? Oh, gosh, it's hard to know because there's so many cool places and I really haven't traveled very much in my life. Um, but I, I'm really kind of smitten with, um, there's a project in Scotland called Trees for Life. And they are focused on rewilding and they are all about like establishing forests and trying to bring back beavers to the landscape and things like that. So uh, if I didn't live here in Oregon, I would probably love to like go live there to help them with their project.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, that's, I, I, I lived in Scotland for 20 years, so I, I know it quite well.
2: Wow. But yeah, it's
1: just beautiful, beautiful part of the country, as is where Steph lives now, in the Welsh wilderness.
2: Oh, wow, cool. <laughs> and then again, you know, Maine wouldn't be so bad, you know, it could be Stephen King's neighbour. <laughs> Stalking, yes. <laughs> <sighs> um,
0: yeah, I can't, if I were to live in any place else, but uh, Oregon, honestly, I'd probably choose a desert somewhere. Wow. I love the desert. Um, Nevada deserts, especially are just. Uh, um, Steph, we've frozen for Steph.
3: Now you're all back now. I had one of my moments, <laughs> but the connection connection was still there. I was just going to say that when you were talking about Scotland and uh, the rewilding, I I think that up there they're talking about bringing wolves back as well. Some were trying to. um,
2: So it might be be a bit extreme. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have wolves in Oregon now, a few. It's pretty cool. Of course, people Uh, are always trying to wipe them back out. but.
0: (laughs) That's a problem with us. It's like we have some pretty cool. We have a high cat population, too, and it's like you know outlying areas uh their favorite thing is killing really beautiful animals just for the fun of it you know so yeah. <laughs> but uh wolves I didn't wolves I haven't seen a wolf since I was a kid
2: I've never
0: seen one yeah uh, we used to see the timber wolves when my dad would take me catfishing at night which is code for fishing illegally without a license <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we used to see the wolves when we were out there doing that, um, but uh, that was, I was five or six or something.
2: So, so just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Just we, a few. My dog and I did find some coyote poop on our walk today just up the block from our house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Isn't that amazing? I, I live over here on Flavelle, close to where you used to live, um, and I've seen Coyotes run right down the middle of Flavel and down 84th Street here, coming down off of Mount Scott.
2: It's pretty amazing because that 82nd Avenue close to you is so busy. It's yeah. like you know, it's like a, a this multi-lane road with like always traffic and you know lots of big shops on it. And you know the idea that coyotes are just hanging around, you know, you just expect them to be like, hey, you wanna, you need anything at Walmart? I'm stopping in, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: your, your your coyotes sound, sound like our foxes. We we have foxes that do that that live in very sort of suburban areas. They moved in because well, it's probably an easy an easy place for food.
2: Yeah, it was so exciting. I've I've only been. Uh, to the UK once, I went to the World Horror Convention in Brighton, and, you know, my my whole life, I've always wanted to see a fox, but they, we don't really have them in the Pacific Northwest much, Um, and so, anyway, I was on the bus going from Heathrow to Brighton, I looked out the window, and I saw a fox running in a field, and I was (laughs) like... How fantastic! It was so (laughs) great. It was absolutely the best. Uh, It was probably the highlight of the
0: trip. I was going to (laughs) say, we it to a Portlander to go to the UK and take pictures of Fox.
2: (laughs) I also took a picture. It was really great. I went to uh, the Natural History Museum in London Mm -hmm. and I have this picture from outside while I'm waiting in line. And it's of... uh, longleaf Oregon grape. It's just great because like that's what they've um, planted all around the museum. It's very lovely but you know it's from Oregon like me. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of hilarious (laughs) because uh, many plants that are native to Oregon became very popular with gardeners in the UK and but like they never caught on here so it's just kind of hilarious that now we're like trying to plant native plants and and there are way more of them in your neck of the woods. Well we used used to steal them from other countries
3: so yeah. Yeah we're supposed to be a country of gardeners and shopkeepers aren't we? Yes (laughs) supposedly.
0: (laughs) Um yeah I forgot what I was going to say never mind. Like I've gotten quicker about that. I do that all the time, but use uh, what was I? Uh, no, I've gotten where. And uh, never mind, I forgot again.
1: <laughs> it will, it will come back to you when we finish. That's what normally happens. Absolutely. Generally,
0: yeah. Always. <laughs> That's okay. I also do I also do follow up questions via direct message because if I want to know something, I don't care if it got on the show or not. I still want to know it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Inquisitive.
0: Yes. <laughs> Well, we were talking was it on this one? I think it was this this podcast- I'm running two now, so I'm confused um but we were talking um, and I lost it again sorry, i got I was thinking about two different podcast episodes, so I forgot oh, what yeah. who, who
1: who were you talking to, and then we can tell you whether it's this one or not.
0: I, I think that, that I was talking that we were talking to Ross Jeffrey.
1: Oh, it was this one then, unless he's been in cast as well.
0: Yeah, no, he has not yet. Um, that's that's notice Ross. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, it went away. Um,
3: okay. I'm trying... I was just oh, going to go was... back to the Deer Kings because that is a long yeah. book. Can I ask? how long that one took you to write and how many drafts you went Ooh. through on that one well
2: that is a good question because like I said I started right this is what happens to me I think with almost every book I start writing it and I'm happy for a little while and then I think this is all wrong and I have to put it away for kind of a while and then I have like some new idea and I'm like ah, this will fix my problem. And then I pull this old thing out of a trunk and I re-outline it and then I can write it again. Um, So I would guess it probably, I probably spent about four months on it flailing the first time. And then it sat around probably for another six to eight months, I'd say. then it probably took me another six, five or six months to to re-jigger and then write it. I think that seems about right. Um, it was very nice. Uh, some, one thing that really helped is that a friend of mine, we went on like a riding retreat to uh, a house on the coast and we just we just brought I brought like a can of soup for every meal. And we just stayed there for like three days and there was no cleaning or cooking to be done. I just ate soup and wrote (laughs) and got a lot done and that helped a ton. I've
3: got friends who who do write. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say writing retreats, you see them advertised and I know some friends go on them, but I. They put me into a state of panic before I even think about it. I've not done one, but it's like workshops. I think that I'm going to my brain's just going to seize if I go to any of these things and I'm not going to be able to come up with anything. So I stay away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: This one worked out really well for me, but it was very low key. Right. It's just my friend. And a house of some people she knew. So there's no money on the line or anything. And I was just, and I was at the right point. Because I think, you know, sometimes the beginning for me just has to go slowly. I have to think about the characters and the world and everything. And there's just no speeding it along. But then toward the end, everything's been sort of built up. You've, You've laid all the the down all the little story seeds and stuff and you're just you can really just get a lot done and plow through things because it's just uh it's just exciting and fun watching all the dominoes are falling
1: do, do you do you always keep to your outline wendy or sometimes does something happen and then you go oh this is a much better idea
2: well i've kind of gotten so when i first my first two novels you know they were written as tie-in fiction so I had to outline them extremely carefully and those outlines had to be approved by the publisher and you know all of that so at first I was a very rigorous outliner but I found it when I started writing my own stuff I felt like it it didn't always help me and and you know it kind of killed the 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 secret Uh, skin novella the first when I started working on it. And so I kind of came up with a new approach to outlining where I would do sort of a a very general sense outline. Like, here's what I like to call candy bar scenes. You know, these are like the scenes I dream about writing. And this is sort of a vague sense of what it's about and where it's gonna go. And then I'll like write and then I I'll uh at the I sort of before a scene, I'll outline it and, and maybe the next few scenes and, or then I'll write that much. And then I sit down again and do like the next step of outlining and sort of take it sort of, it's outlined, but it's in very small chunks of outlining. Mm -hmm. And that seems to work pretty well for me with the Deer Kings, you know, it, it has, three different points of view characters and it's um it's got two main time frames and it's going back and forth between there's also like a tiny middle time frame that kind of connects things um and so i actually like had this big chart i drew up with like color coding (laughs) i wanted i I knew like one character gary would have the majority of the scenes in both times but then i didn't want to leave out the other two characters um and get them let them be forgotten about and so you know with the color coding and the charting that that kind (laughs) of helped
0: it actually makes kind of sense the color coding thing with me the way my brain is it's like I latch on to visuals a lot better than focusing on on a block of text.
2: Right. Yeah, me too. And that was good because I'd like, you know, I could write down in my chart, like, okay, I want to set up an idea that's going to be revealed through this point of view in the past. And then I want that to come back in somebody else's point of view in the future and just making sure I didn't drop too many things. Um, And because of the way that, I move kind of slowly and more piecemeal I didn't have to do a lot of drafts of this I did a draft and then I went through and fixed things and I sent it to beta readers got their feedback and then did another draft Um, and so I I think really there was only like two real drafts of the book um, before I, I sent it out
0: everybody in drawn breath at the same time <laughs> <laughs> um, what um,
3: uh, no, I was just uh, gonna say your, your character Gary is a writer and <laughs> you know he's moved because his wife's got this high-powered job but he's experiencing a sort of a level of writer's block or, or difficulties, you know, he, he can't get to grips with it. Partly because of returning and all the issues that's brought back. But do you ever experience any block of any kind? Because it
2: doesn't sound like it. <laughs> Actually, so you know, it was a big jump from writing lots of short fiction and like tie-in fiction to writing my first book that was just for me and it was incredibly satisfying and it was so exciting because it was was a project where I got an agent very quickly I got a book deal very quickly it was extremely like so thrilling and then after you know that went into motion I needed to write another book and it was just like crickets in my head for kind of a long time and it was very stressful and awful and particularly after the book came out and just you know to have this thing that I just loved so much like put out in the world and and you know it was it was kind of miserable and horrible to be honest um, which I think is not an uncommon experience for people who like have their their first novel come out, you know you have all these dreams and and when it's not like an immediate success or sometimes even if there is an immediate success success, it's just you know when a dream comes true, what do you do with it uh mm-hmm. and so i was I was really kind of stuck for a while, and I knew I wanted to write Gary's story um but my agent wasn't so sure about the idea and so he he wanted me to work on science fiction more and I just stalled out a lot on science fiction projects and finally I had to break up with my agent because I was just like I just have to write this horror novel (laughs) and so then it was like really freeing after that and I haven't really felt super blocked although last year I wasn't particularly productive i out i sketched out some book ideas i sort of poked around on things i wrote some essays and short stories but didn't get as much writing done as i really would have liked to have but yeah so definitely gary was sort of wrestling with some of my own writing block (laughs)
0: um that's kind of what i find with writing blocks is that they are generally life related you know (laughs) they're related it's not easy because usually if I sit down and make my force myself to write something, I it'll, it'll get me through it eventually. Yeah. Um, even if, or conversely, if I just, you know, head out and start walking around this crazy neighborhood I live in, um, that'll, that'll get your creative juices flowing. Either that yeah. or, or get your defenses up. One of the two. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I find it's always so amazing when I'm writing, I don't know if you have this experience, but you'll have a day and you're feeling like, oh, I am just getting the words on paper and it's it's not it's not that great. And maybe the next day you're like, oh, this is brilliant, and you're writing as fast as you can and everything's great. When you go back to the book, you can't really tell the difference between the days that were like, I am just writing and the days <laughs> where you're like, I'm a genius. And you're like, well, it, it, it actually works out. It's fine. Everything it kind of works together.
0: I think you think maybe it's like a just the it's the mental, you know. I mean, a lot of times I'm sitting there writing stuff, thinking it's the greatest thing I've ever written, you know. And as you said, the are yeah, I'm just writing, and then I'll sometimes go back and read, and the greatest thing I've ever written gets trashed immediately. <laughs>
2: <You> right. <write. laughs> What
0: hell
2: did I write? <laughs> <laughs> It's so weird. It's like, I'll go running, right? And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I was terrible. That was the slowest, worst run ever. And then like, I check my, you know, little statistics keeping app and I'm like, oh, oh, I ran faster than I thought I did. Oh, that was much better. That's <laughs> a personal and I, like, record. I'm like, I did great. And you're like, no, you didn't. <laughs>
3: She <laughs> did a big run the other day, didn't you? I saw some pictures of you with a yeah. medal or something. What I distance?
2: Yeah, yeah, what distance yeah. is it? Yesterday I went um to this uh race here in out on the edge of the Mount Hood Forest where you like to go. And it was really beautiful. It was so pretty out there. Um, it was great. When we first set out running, there were cloud shadows on the tops of the hills and it made it look like the, the, the hill had a big smiley face. It was so cute. <laughs> so that was really fun. <laughs> it's the only the second time I've run a race in like around people. So it was like a, a really exciting, fun thing. So what was the distance on that one? Uh, it was 15 kilometers
1: that's a lot
2: yeah it was it was kind of a stretch for me i i think i had originally hoped because at that race you can run a half marathon or which is 13 miles or you can run 15 kilometers or you can do 10 kilometers or five and so i had originally hoped to do the half marathon but this summer it just Life got too busy to do as much training as I really should have. And anyway, so that that 15 kilometers was more than enough.
3: <laughs>
2: it's more than I could do.
3: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> much, uh, Steph, definitely.
0: It's really too damn hot to do a lot of training this summer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there have been some pretty hot days, and we're looking at some more.
0: Yeah, we're looking at a run of triple-digit days again, I know. It's
3: so lovely.
2: Good time. <laughs> <Yep.
3: laughs> I think our summer's ending here. Well, it's dark outside now. It's been rainy. I think it's yeah. gone. We're, fa- we're supposed to
1: get another heat wave at the end of, of August, if they said. But whether oh, yeah. that will be
0: day,
2: <laughs> it's so hard to predict the weather now. I think.
0: I mean, really, they are the highest paid, highest paid spec fiction writers in the world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes
0: um so, so that was
3: a, i was just gonna say that was another bit of gary of yourself that you put into gary then as well isn't it with the
2: running well that's the kind of funny thing i had never started running uh and for some reason so originally the the, the original inspiration for this book was a short story i had i was like i wrote this short story about a, a guy who had made a deal with this dear God and and he was a runner and you know, a dad and stuff like that. And that short story, it got rejected from a magazine where the the editor actually would give you feedback on your story. And he said, you know, the story would be stronger if you did X, Y, and Z. And I had this real knee jerk reaction like, no, that's not what needs to happen with the story. And then the next thought was, this story needs to be a novel. Um, and I, I don't know why whatever he said made me think, no, this book should be a, this story should be a book, but it worked. Um, and so then I, I, like, did a lot of thinking and it wound up becoming this, this much, much, much larger project. But the idea of Gary, as, um, you know, he was like an assistant track coach in the first story, so he kind of remained a runner. I wasn't a runner then. I didn't know anything about running. Um, But my daughter got into running. And she was like, she would want to watch, like, YouTube videos about runners. And she got, like, a book at the library about a runner who, um, he's this trail runner who's also a a vegan. And he had this book called, like, Eat eat and run is what it's called It had like recipes in it and it's all about his life story and it was so inspiring that I was like I'm gonna try running and uh, now my daughter's not interested in running anymore but I'm still running <laughs> and I just thought that was kind of funny because now I have something in common with Gary <laughs> you're
3: not a librarian as well
2: no <laughs> although I did volunteer at my daughter's school library for a little while oh <laughs> uh.
0: Honestly, that's that's my second dream job as librarian right after right after poet. I mean and who wants to who wants to get paid a poet's salary really. <laughs> I, guess, I think librarians probably make double the money.
2: <laughs> that still doesn't make very much. No. <laughs> oh, but I love libraries so much. Uh, When I was in high school, my senior year, they started closing for half days on Wednesdays for like school in service. And all of us kids got to go do like volunteer work in the community. And so my volunteer job was at the Reedsport Public Library and it was great my best friend's mom was the head librarian so you know it was kind of like hanging out with my own mom and one of my buddies was there and we just did all these fun projects and you know of course I love books so it was just basically an excuse to go you know make a giant stack of books to bring home with me and it was just like the very best and uh gosh yeah i I can't say enough good stuff about libraries. They're absolutely the place where magic comes from, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. I think uh, Central Library downtown Portland pretty much raised me. So, I mean, that was, I was honestly a kid who hated school and skipped school all the time to go hang at the library downtown. Awesome. Um, Every time I got brought home by a truant officer, it was because they caught me down at the library.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, we lived so far out in the middle of nowhere. And at the time, the Douglas County Library System actually had a bookmobile that would go to these very small, isolated communities. And it would come every two weeks. And like if that was on a Thursday, and we would be able, like if we were in school, we got to leave class to go to the library and everybody in the whole community would come out and I just have like such magical memories of like the sound of its generator and walking up the stairs and going into this like little paradise of books it was so terrific and then summers would be great you know we we lived so far out in the middle of nowhere we we didn't really have much tv reception um so books were were like everything one year I can remember being like I wonder how many books I checked out this week and so I counted and it was 125 books I mean and many of them were like you know little paperbacks it was like you know the the, the uh you know the, the the babysitter's club and things like that still <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I read them all and two oh, weeks yeah. I needed more <laughs> I was just what was your what? favorite what was your
3: favorite childhood author then
2: Oh, uh, definitely. There's a, a woman named Tamora Pierce, and she writes fantasy. And I read this book, uh, her first book and like her first hit series is called Alana. Uh, it has like a subtitle nowadays, but it was discovered called Alana. I think it's called Alana, the first adventure now. And it was about this girl. And she had a twin brother and they were supposed to be sent off to school. He wanted to go learn how to be like a wizard and she wanted to go be a knight. And so since they looked enough alike, you know, they swapped places so she could become a knight. And uh, I love that book. So much, And I just remember the first time I ever read it, it was the first book I ever read that had multiple point of view characters, and which was astonishing and so exciting. And I just remember I got done with that. And I remember thinking like, wow, somebody decided to write it that way. Somebody wrote this book, I want to be like her. And yeah, so she was that that was the first book that I read that I knew I wanted to be a writer. And I've probably read that book. I don't probably 20 times if not more because I would read and reread it when I was a kid so much it was so great.
0: <laughs> I think it was it that made me want to be a writer um beyond poetry.
2: I believe that it's such a writerly book. Yeah, I mean so many of these books are oh uh, you can read kind of his entire relationship with writing. If you look back through his books from, you know, The Body to yeah. If you read the the novella The Mist, it is it has a truly heartbreaking section where you know the main character in The Mist is uh um, and he paints covers for, you know, trashy novels and he has this whole thing about how he used to think that he would be a great artist, but now he knows he's just going to be a commercial Fell out, And you just know that Stephen King was saying that about himself mm-hmm. and he was going through a time where he just believed that his work wasn't that valuable. And then you have all the way to, I mean, he won the National Book Award and he's sort of like this yeah. grandfather of letters. And it, it's great to just see that, like, go through this, his work.
0: And yeah, he's really you can and his life, too, not just as a writer, but as a human, you see him going through his drug problems and you see him coming through recovery and you see what happens after his accident i mean it's just the, the thread is there to follow the story's there to read in his stories yeah yeah
2: it's pretty terrific to see
0: that yeah. he can project that so effectively you know
2: <laughs> or or just not not keep it out <laughs> yeah Writing can you
0: so- can you imagine though i can't imagine people knowing that much about my life so anxious anyway
2: (laughs) it must be strange yeah
0: i mean i'm very transparent anyway but uh, i can be selective about
2: it yeah it's nice to feel you can be selective about Uh, it
0: exactly certain certain level of self-protection um so what's next wendy
2: oh gosh well i've spent all spring and most of last winter really just kind of learning how to run this magazine so I haven't done as much writing as I would like to um but I'm sort of feeling like I've got things sort of you know sorted out better now so I'm getting a little bit more work done which is really nice um I've got a science fiction novel that uh part, par for the course, I had started writing and has been in the trunk and I've had a good idea for how to make it work again. So hopefully I can dive back in. It's time to, to get back to work on that. And hopefully I'll be able to actually finish it this time. It's a project that, you know, I've had the idea for and just uh, not quite been able to figure out how to make it work. And I think the pieces are starting to come together. So Hopefully, I'll be writing that science fiction novel this fall and then see how that goes.
0: <laughs> I'd like to write, read some of your sci-fi, too. Um, especially um, if Neon Hemlock has picked up your work, um, that is a favored press of mine. Um, they can read. They publish uh, such a diverse crew of writers there. You know, Caitlin Starling and Ebony Dunbar and yourself. Um, I mean queers and people of color and women and um, you name it they they've got their backs and uh, I just love those guys.
2: Me so. too I think they're so great so I just feel really honored that I've gotten to work with them really great.
0: Yeah and and the great thing too is that when you read something by them you don't it's not at least for me so far, there's no speculation about whether I'm going to enjoy what I'm reading or not. Because every single thing I've read, it was 100% satisfying, you know.
2: I think a lot of people feel that way. When they, um, when they did the Kickstarter for the novellas, it's like people had the option to order all the novellas or to order, you know, which of the novellas like struck them as interesting. And the, I mean, like the vast majority of orders are just for all the novellas. Like I mean, I think there were like hundred and seventy-five like pre-orders of just the nov of like the four novellas as a bundle versus like, you know, thirteen was the most for one of the individual novellas on its own. And there were other packages too. Like I mean, there were lots and lots of pre-orders. They did really well. Uh but I just thought like what a like you can just, just looking at these numbers, you can see that people just have a really strong belief in this press and its ability to like publish just good work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and plus they're just good people too. Sweeter, sweeter than hell. The ones I've dealt with, I think it's um, Paul? Dave. Dave. Yeah. Dave. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Awesome human being.
2: Yeah. And he has like the best eye for design like the book covers are very appealing I just saw the arcs of my book and like inside he um he kind of he he did he he, he took pictures of photographs and put them together and then got somebody to draw them so it makes a neat little illustration so at the beginning of every chapter there's this enchanting little drawing of like a house on a cliff with a big wave and it's wow. just so attractive i it's like oh this is just lovely I, it's just really <laughs> nice and even the typeface is like really pleasing <laughs> i'm very excited
0: <laughs> uh, i i experienced that recently um actually with beverly too and it's like i can see that i haven't had that experience yet where i'm just looking at the the print layout of something and and going oh my god look at the typeface because it seems like yeah it's typing (laughs) (laughs) but but then when she was talking about it and the excitement of holding that arc in your hand and looking at that it's like oh my god i bet that's just everything about it even the page numbers have to just thrill the hell out of you (laughs) well
1: typeface is very important You know you're in a group of writers when we can get excited about what font we're using.
2: Right. <laughs> it's true, it's true. One of the oh, longest babies.
0: conversations I've ever been in on Twitter was a conversation where someone said, um, what what font size and what font do you write your drafts in? You know. And I mean it was a long, long conversation, yeah. You know? Yeah,
2: people have furious <laughs> opinions about
0: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Very much do. <laughs> But uh, I am going to go ahead and call this um, Beverly Stephanie. Yeah, I know. It goes by fast, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. I've had so much fun talking with you all. You're just yeah, like, been great. oh, so great. Oh,
1: it's been, it's been, it's been lo- lovely to chat to you, and it's yeah. really been good. Thanks
0: so much. Yes. Awesome. So, yeah. So um, back next week then? <laughs> <laughs>
3: with the candles in the background <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> yes oh uh, it has been wonderful talking to you wendy i uh, want to talk to you again soon um remind us again of release dates on on the novella and on the deer kings
2: sure so the deer kings comes out to all bookstores on august 27th um and then although I've seen that people, if they've ordered it directly from the publisher, are actually getting copies already, which is kind of weird, but we're not going to argue with that. Right. Um, and then uh, The Secret Skin, the gothic novella, comes out um, October 26th.
0: Right on. Uh, gothic sawmill, man. you got to love that. Um. <laughs> Uh, but it is uh, one of the thrilling things about Wendy's work is she brings it home and you feel like uh, the places that she's writing are real places because they're real to her and that's super important to a good story. so uh, thank you for being here, Wendy.
2: Yeah. Thank you
0: Anybody who has not read Wendy's work yet grab the deer Kings and unfuck that now. <laughs> um, I will be talking to you offline about getting you on Ink Heist soon too, because hey, why not?
2: That would be fun. <laughs> I love hanging out with you, Shane. It's the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then we'll then we'll all meet downtown and have a drink sometime after the after hell freezes over and right. we can go outside. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Stephanie, um you want to yep. just stay on and we'll go ahead and talk about our yep. project okay um okay thank you all hey, love you yeah. okay bye
1: thank you bye.
0: bye i just damn near hung up
1: <laughs> <laughs> need. i need to hang up now to let you two get on
0: <laughs> okay beverly um okay, bye. thank you
1: no don't don't you keep stephanie up too late she needs she needs to be in bed at the, time. Tw- 20 minutes
0: Yes. Okay. All are right, they're yeah, I'll, I'll up catch on on you me. both soon then. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Hey, take care, Beth. <laughs> okay. So, did you get my document? I'm trying to
3: find it myself. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. OK, OK, that's just getting the document open.
0: I was my I had accidentally tapped my ear button. It silences when I do that.
3: But... <laughs> right, I've looked at. The document. I'm just going, oh, let's get the review things on so I can see what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll probably end up closing your window <laughs> when I trying to go to the next thing. Um, <laughs> Right, where are we? Oh yeah, this bit about Adam, you've made a comment.
0: Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, and you said that you you don't need to um, name drop him, and I think that's fine because it's it might not necessarily be him because right. Lilith, she she's sort of absorbed all these women over time, and it depends who she allows to come forward as to who they are so she's a sort of everyman version of Lilith so Adam could be the same you know it depends so you can keep it fluid
0: right and that's where I got uh came to the conclusion that the, at the very end um in that last comment that I put rather was I actually went through and read with a closer more attentive attentive eye and realized what you had said about Adam oh. already in the previous and I think in one of the absolutely fucking brilliant passages i marked in there well, Thank um, you. <laughs> um so yeah that kind of clarified that one for me i just didn't go back and fix it um yeah but otherwise um, yeah they were just minor things i think i need to expand on those sections
3: that Yeah, I, he, I need i need a bit more of his story because i've still yeah. got this scene in my head where she's setting up these incidents or things from his past in stone and he's going right. to break that stone and sort of confront things whatever that things may be stuff yeah. um <laughs> but i would need a little bit from where he's he comes from not right as in right. geographical space but um, um just a bit yeah. more about him it doesn't have to be detailed because we could leave leave a lot for the reader to infer but enough for me to create something else from from there. I, yeah. I um like that. what else we got? Uh, I'm just reading my own answers, right? Mm. Yeah, you've got your expand bit. It took me a little while to understand, to realise XP stood for expand. Oh, <laughs> it's Sunday, Sunday morning. Um unless you're XP, a
0: gamer and then it's experience.
3: oh yeah breadcrumbs that but you put clarification on the men they disposed of a body uh cleanup so yes they are they're just dodgy characters out there getting rid of a body um i put they operate in a sort of shadow world so you you picked up on the right thing there Uh, okay i just want to make sure yeah that's right and then you go back to adam down the bottom yeah yeah i think that was that was pretty much it yeah. Because if I do too much now, if I do any more now, what I might end up doing is doing something that's going to restrict your poem. So mm-hmm. I need more from you to build on because otherwise it'll be me, Lilith, directing what's happening. And I don't want her to do that. Right. So I want right. you to feel free to sort of throw your, yours in. And that Daughters of scold. yeah, fate, yeah, she's one of the norms of fate. So I, I was just going to Norse that.
0: Oh, I think it's actually cool. I like using those those little bits like that. It draws readers' interest, and some people, yeah. especially if you make them wonder, "Oh, what does that word mean?" You know what I mean? It kind of just yeah. Well, I've got,
3: it. yeah. So I've got these books on Vikings and things. So of course, I've got to use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, um. It's- sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was that was it. So your where you were asking for clarification, you were right. A Bit about more about his story, a uh, bit about Adam, it's fine. I've as I say, I'm not doing any more on it at the minute because I need a bit more new I do have a few ideas of stuff that I, stuff again that I can put in earlier. Um, it's giving me a chance just to get on with this stupid novella <laughs> that I'm trying to finish, um, which is nearly there. So uh, yeah. that'll be out of the way soon, and I can get back to the poetry but yeah I still I still, I still like beta. it
0: huh? let me know if you need a beta reader I'll be happy to <laughs> happy to take that on for you
3: yeah it's, it's one it's it's a near future thing it's where something is going wrong in the world and it was just happening too quickly and I was thinking I've just got to try and pull the time apart a little bit and I've I've been doing that today but People will say things can't happen that quickly in real life, but I think they can. It's oh, trying yeah, to get yeah. them to believe that in the book. It's actually uh-huh. harder, but I'm get I'm getting there. But I don't know whether it's going to have a hopeful ending or not. It's just <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be a bit of a tough one. I've sort of got a couple of thousand words to go, and then uh-huh. I'm going there. But I'll get that daughters of darkness 2 to you as well soon um okay. the one with Kath and Bev and Nat and um Lynn and uh as I say I mentioned Lynn love earlier and yeah. I didn't tell Bev but Lynn no, <laughs> Lynn's story is something that she I think she would really like I, I actually prefer it to um Bev's and Kath's um it's As I say, it is an amazing story, but uh, you'll you'll see that for yourself. It's it's another quiet horror, so I hope you'll you'll like that. Um, The schedule, where have you put it? Is it up yet? It's not yet,
0: but um, next weekend is open right now. Mm. Uh, And the weekend after that is Nicole Eigner.
3: Is there anything that I'm reading for?
0: Um, Nicole's, I don't. I just bought her book. I don't know that she. Um, and actually, I had just purchased her book before uh, I asked her on the show.
3: All right. What's the name of her book?
0: It's uh, Beguiled by Night. It's Kind of okay. uh, about a French French vampire. <laughs> but, um, it's. I wouldn't have. Saw, I wouldn't have seen myself liking this book, but. Mm. Um, I. I've swore up and down that I would so I took a chance on it and I'm actually enjoying it quite a lot so. and I'll post that up there today and make sure that you have a link to it the calendar
3: yeah okay Right. I think that's that's it yep. then yeah yep. it went I'm well tonight again I think
0: I think so too <laughs> I think so too um well, I like it, having people who talk too much because that's how we get, that's how we get good information, you know, when, <laughs> but when the hosts and the guests are all chatty, the information comes out more naturally, but it, yeah. but you get better information. Anyway,
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. I will jump on, I will jump on these expansions on this and, and write some more there to fill that out for you while you're finishing your novella.
3: Yeah. Okay, then. Right. Cheers. All right. Good night. All right. All right. <laughs> good night, Bye. Steph. Yeah. Bye, Shane.